Hi, we're in a new episode of, of the History of Politics podcast, and we have a great guest. We have Trading Tyvi from the Netherlands, who is a part of Europe Elects, and he, he covers uh, politics in the Netherlands, Belgium, Sweden, and Norway. So, um, and we are going to talk about European politics. So, hi, Nens Trading. Hi. Um, I was wondering, since you are um, uh, an avid observer of European politics, how, how do you do you see the the that that politics have changed since since COVID? Because um, there has been a wild range of responses, even in Latin America, like um, which um, it is another topic in itself. But um, the the kind of vision that there was that, that that at one point that Europe was going to be able to to manage the the pandemic in some way uh, in some way has has a stand out in in the sense like countries like Norway uh, and, and Finland have uh, some of the lowest mortality rates in the world but other countries didn't fade that well despite having much more robust uh, uh, healthcare systems. So, so how, how do you think that the, the effect of the pandemic has, has changed politically Europe? Yeah, it has. The COVID pandemic has had a big effect on European politics in several aspects. We have seen that the European Union in itself has managed to come with a big um recovery fund with billions and billions and billions of euros to save European economies. And that is really unseen. For the first time, we've seen that the European Union as a supranational entity has been borrowing money for this um, big COVID recovery fund. So that's, a big, that's a, the biggest change. Secondly, we see that generally in Europe, both on the left and the right, that people are seeing the necessity of good welfare. They see, oh, we need to get our healthcare in good shape because you can't get COVID solved with bad healthcare. And we need to have some job security programs improved. That's also a big change. Even the centre-right has been accepting of six policies, policies, especially after the 1990s and the 2000s and the euro crisis, when both the right and the left have been of the opinion, no, we need to privatize more, a sort of neoliberal way of thinking the third way with Tony Blair and later the new euro crisis with austerity. So that's a second change that parties, both on the left and the right, see the appreciate big government more and thirdly we see that um, on the European far right you see that basically um, they get in another topic to talk about and that is besides immigration they use the fatigue of the European lockdowns during COVID as a way to spread distrust about government and politics. So that's the three biggest changes. We see big European integration, that politics appreciates social welfare, and thirdly, that populist parties now also use anti-lockdown sentiment to spread distrust about politics. 
Yeah, that's it is curious because like uh, I think the, the the rhetoric was going to be I think from particularly in the Anglosphere that you know Latin America was going to be very anti like anti lockdown and, and and in kind of some way like Europe was going to be much more um more uh, pro-lockdown, uh, pro-vax, but in some ways it seems like many countries in Latin America has been more uh, supportive of lockdowns and, and, and supportive of, 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 uh, of vaccines and even the vaccine mandates, rather than... And, and, and in Europe, there has been like really massive anti... anti um, anti-vaccine, anti-vax, particularly protests, which it has been an anti-lockdown also. Um, here, there were some protests uh, of the street vendors, but it, it was not exactly completely anti-lockdown, just that since they uh, basically left of street, they just wanted to, 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 to be able to sell. Like, you know, so it was not the same and i it, they they also use masks so it was not also anti-mask or anti like and an, or anti-vaccine but just rather a very kind of very limited uh, in some way um kind of protest but in in the europe case it has been kind of a surprise to to many the that kind of, of sentiment but i think some research is interesting because uh it mentions that a lot of the of the of the funding of anti-vaxxers in Latin America comes from Europe, particularly from Germany, and and there are also news that some German anti-vaxxers are moving, particularly to Paraguay, which it is the uh, I, I, I should say a, a, a kind of yeah, yes. unexpected uh, element of, of of this pandemic. Yeah, it's kind of it's. Yeah, it's kind of surprising how fast it went because first the you had populist parties on the right at the beginning of the pandemic they were in all countries very much we need to get a lockdown now close everything the government is killing people that's the kind of rhetoric we had in march april 2020 when the when the pandemic just started and strangely enough a few months later when there was a second lockdown and the second wave in europe you saw that those populist parties on the right basically turned positions completely. Firstly, they said, we need to close down everything. COVID is dangerous. The government is killing people by doing nothing. They changed their rhetoric to COVID is fake or COVID is not at all dangerous. And we need we don't need a lockdown. The government is, um, is stealing our rights. And there's also a... Um, conspiracy theory among some right-wing populists that this um, COVID pandemic is just a part of a conspiracy. It is fake and that it's just used by politicians to bring forth some sort of big reset, you know, that, um, how should I explain it? Um, to basically do inside their own agenda on globalization and immigration because they say oh look during the covid pandemic we've seen that the european union was able to get such a big um recovery fund together with so much money they used the covid pandemic just to push that for their european agenda or some other stuff 
or that you see that the recovery fund money is being used in a lot of European countries to cut down carbon emissions. So you hear from the extreme right, oh, they only use COVID as an excuse to go further with their climate policies, which they also don't believe in. They don't believe in climate change either. So that's kind of interesting how that how that went. And I think it's just merely we want to be against the government. If the government said you need, we need to we don't need to implement such pol- lockdown policies, then this radical right says we need to have a lockdown. And once the government says we need to do a lockdown, then the radical right says no, we don't need to do a lockdown. So I guess it has to do with anti-government sentiment in general. Yeah, that's that's interesting to to, to watch. I think the, the there are also you know some trends among the the the, the I, I guess the the management of, of the pandemic in the sense that countries like Portugal have have done quite well the their vaccination program. I think it's one of the most vaccinating countries in the world. And that's true. And 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 I think it kind of took people by surprise. Uh, I think uh, Sweden, like people were uh, at the beginning kind of reluctant on taking vaccines. Uh, I remember even here in Peru, like was reported that 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 vaccines had been lost because they weren't being used, uh, which is quite curious because here, like at least at the beginning of the pandemic, like, uh, there, there was really a, a kind of uh, uh, basically everyone that was able to vaccinate it vaccinated itself, um, but um, yeah, I, I think it, it has been curious how the, the reconfiguration of the of the invisible lines in some way in in in, in the the kind of southern Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, uh, uh, it it is curious because I, I feel that. In some ways, like Eastern Europe, also has had a, a much more. Uh, it, it seems that the the anti, particularly anti-vaccine sentiments, have been fairly more strong, which uh, it it has been curious given that um, uh, 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 there were countries that were uh, as significant part of the of the population kind of study measures uh, in stem and and it was it was curious but uh the issue that that also in northern europe there was much more accepticism towards vaccines even if if those uh had a much uh, uh i guess a divergence from country to country um or that the in in, in southern europe it was it seems that in southern europe like uh the, the vaccines were kind of accepted much more uh, much more naturally and and that the population was was much more cooperative with with the authorities in many ways yeah, so, but that also has to do with the fact that covid basically began in southern europe in europe and italy and spain have had the biggest amount of people who died from covid and they had the harshest lockdown so i think that plays a role in that, that COVID, it's a much bigger trauma for Southern Europe than it was for Northern Europe. So that's that plays into it as well, I think. And yeah, it's, it's kind of curious, yeah. 
And it's also the pattern that most people who are anti-vask and anti-mask tend to be from the political fringes, not from the political center. Yeah, that's 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 also true. Uh, I would say here in Latin America, I think the the center more, uh, which it is true, it it has been a lot weakening here in Latin America, but but also. I see the pattern here that, that the center, which even is becoming much more smaller, in general, hasn't take uh, anti anti vax positions. Um, but what I was curious about the, the this kind of, um, of of how the 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 pandemic was kind of a central topic and and up to the 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 Russian invasion of of Ukraine, which uh, many consider imminent but at the same time like some people thought that it was it was just bluffing but i think this has changed kind of the panorama because if, if covid had accelerated a lot of, of of different processes that were already working uh inside the 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 the, the european union kind of uh, uh this uh this war has made like the the possibility of Sweden and Finland joining uh, NATO, which wasn't seen as as, as likely uh, in the past. But so how how does does this uh, I- invasion has has uh, has has affected the 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 European Union? Well, that's a funny thing because there's a popular. Um, quote by, I guess it was from Jean Monnet, or it was from Schumer, I guess it was from Jean Monnet, who um, in the 1950s, when the European Union, he was the guy who in the 1950s was very active in creating the European community, which was the predecessor of the European Union we we know today. And he said that European integration basically only happens in crises and that it's crises that bring the European Union forward. And that's what we see always. If there is a crisis, then European countries work more together. Why was the European Union founded in the first place? Because Europe was completely destroyed and devastated after the Second World War. Um, When did the European Union really became a European Union? when the Berlin Wall fell and the USSR collapsed and there was a sort of crisis as well internationally. We see it in, during the financial crisis of 2008 that afterwards European countries were forced to work together. You see during COVID again that European countries during the COVID crisis again felt the need to work together and come with a big package to save their economies. And now again, there's a crisis in Eastern Europe and you see that countries in Europe are cooperating much better and there are calls for a European army in some countries. You see that Denmark has has abolished their opt-outs to not be part of the European Defence Corporation and then Sweden and Norway are joining NATO. So you see every time there is a crisis in Europe, then European integration take steps forward. So it's basically kind of weird that the European Union is a is a, is a is an organization that lives of crises. And you also saw that with Brexit, that was also kind of crisis with U- UK leaving the EU that made calls for stronger EU integration 
even higher because they said, yeah, we need more European Union so that people, Europeans know why the European Union is so important. So you see, time after time, once there's a crisis, then European integration takes steps forward. And that's kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting now that you mentioned. Uh, I think the it's true we haven't talked about Brexit, which already I, I think it, it, it got slightly of, of, of the radar when when the kind of the pandemic started and it become in go back with the results in, 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 in Northern Ireland. But uh, I, I think it is curious. Uh, something that... Uh, Um, uh, a, a researcher in, in higher education was mentioning the other day is that um, if one looks at, at Europe, at the higher education systems, uh, the European Union did have to some degree some kind of integration. The UK was really never interested in it. So, like, there was, I think, it is curious because many people argue that, you know, like, um, that the uh, higher education sectors are highly uh, uh, liberal and cosmopolitan, but it is curious. I, I, and I, I, I know some Peruvian academics who are, and like uh, someone from Peru, I know some Peruvian academics who are there. And I, actually I will say they are in general even more left-leaning than the Irish um, Peruvian academic or, or Latin American academic. But um, it, it is curious, it's not, I, I don't see that there was this interest in, in, in kind of integrated, but at the same time, I, I do think that 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 the that the war in Ukraine also has showed the kind of particularities of the UK, the war in, or, or or the particularities of the UK, which is the 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 fact that that a lot of the Russian billionaires were kind of running around uh, uh, London with, with complete uh, control, like without being challenged, despite like uh, their money being linked to, to, to the Kremlin. And, and it is, uh, it, it has been, as it has becoming a quite a pressure. I think it is interesting how the kind of configuration has become like, Uh, where I think there is a consensus generally against against Putin now. Uh, I, I know that the particularly the far right has a much more uh, sympathetic view of Putin uh, and some elements of the far left too. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I do see that that you know, like I understand the difference in the in that Orban obviously has a much more conciliatory position. Uh, And 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 for example, the the, the Baltic countries have a uh, much more confront, uh, uh, have much more strong position, or Poland itself, uh, and and I think there are a lot of ranges that, that that have shown, even if if there is this unity. So how 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 do you see this this kind of 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 uh, of, of, of of challenge? Yeah, that's, I think the European Union, the European countries themselves have been naive for a long time. I mean, it's, it is not the first time Putin has invaded a country. He invaded, um, 
a lot of countries. Russia has invaded a lot of countries. They invaded Moldova. They invaded, invaded Georgia. They invaded Ukraine as well in 2014 and annexed Crimea and started a separatist movement in eastern Ukraine. So it's a bit weird that the European, European countries, especially Germany at the same time, were like, oh, maybe we need to, we need to import more gas from the from Russia, Germany was literally planning to build a new gas pipeline from Russia called Nord Stream 2 to Germany just years and months before the invasion. They only stopped it the day the invention invasion into Ukraine started. So we've been kind of naive because a big part of the European Union as an idea is that it brought peace to Europe and it has kind of caused a an idea that war isn't possible on this on this continent and we've seen that war indeed is possible on this continent and it shook the entire continent and the biggest um and the biggest challenge with this war in Ukraine is at the same time linked to the challenge of climate change because what you see is that as i explained that germany has a big dependency on gas from russia we also see that in other countries that the dependency on gas and oil from russia is really hurting them at the moment we see that prices of gas and and oil gasoline are rising very fast like put in here in the netherlands um we have to pay two euros 50 that is two dollars 50 per liter of of gasoline and that's like um six times more expensive than people in the united states have to pay while in the united states people are already complaining a lot by about gasoline prices and gas prices so that is a lot about the current thing in european union that we're like okay um we need to get green energy sources not only in order to save our environment but we get need to get these green um energy sources also because we need to be less dependent of russia because look now russia invades another country and we can't really do much because if we do a lot then russia will stop its gas imports to several countries yeah already stopped gas import exports to the Netherlands and other countries and we see now that in these countries gas prices are rising and it's hurting people that, that that's the that's the whole thing now the big challenge energy basically and also that the energy prices today in Europe which are very high are causing also very high inflation at the moment the Netherlands had past spring an inflation rate of 10-11% while that was and that's kind of insane when you know that last year we were talking about how come we almost have no inflation and then a war starts, energy prices rise and we have an inflation crisis. So that's the, that's the biggest challenge to how does the European Union go forward in terms of their energy policies? Uh, okay, I, I think... What, what you have mentioned, I think it's very important because also it has uh, a link with, with uh, what, what is going on here in, 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 in particular in the Andean region, which is kind of the, 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 the beginning of the extraction of lithium for, for, the, for the batteries. And 
and that is also a, a kind of challenge which which uh, involves uh, Germany because some German companies uh, in theory are going to be involved in that. Um, I think it it is curious because the when when I was watching uh, Deutsche Welle, I, I think uh, some uh, uh, solar panel manufacturers were saying that the German government could the subsidies uh, a long time ago, and that uh, with uh, the reduction of subsidies, it became much more uh, expensive to 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 provide like uh, solar panels, which will have um reduce the dependence of, on, on gas and 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 I think I think sometimes the idealized vision of 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 of, of, of Europe uh, that uh, I think particularly exists on, on the anglosphere also to some degree I think in Latin America um I think doesn't realize the the, the kind of of plays that the automobile industry particularly play because well, it's true that compare, uh, I suppose, with 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 the U.S. or or, or other parts of the world, uh, in Europe there are much more public transport. It's still, like the selling of cars is, is an important part of the economy. Uh, it is uh, uh, some argue that, that it is central to the political economy of Hungary. I, I, I don't know as much as, as as the political economy of Hungary to know if that's true, but. Uh, uh, but but yeah, I mean, it, it is certainly a, a, a very huge challenge. I think in Netherlands itself, like the there are protests now from the from the farmers that are uh, against the, the 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 new regulations of the government. I think it, it's going to be also a a very big uh, place of 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 of. of uh, of friction, uh, how far will governments b- will be willing to go, and 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 I and 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 and, and those groups are going to become much more opposed because I think on, on different issues, I think the the people are going to be opposed to some measures that are going to be fairly different, and uh, that is 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 something that that is going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah, and that's also that's a big issue in Europe, not only for the sake of environment, but also due to the war in Ukraine and rising energy prices, Europe basically has no choice but to go green. But the issue is, how do we go green as soon as possible? Because as you see, going green has a lot of effects. It hurts the agriculture sector. Thousands of farmers might have to lose their jobs. People people who normally heat their homes with coal or gas or oil now have to step over to other energy green green energy sources it's a whole change that is that has to happen some people are going to lose their jobs and the issue now is how will governments try to make Europe greener in a way that people also are taken with them because don't forget a few years ago when President Macron of uh, of France wanted to increase prices of gas, um, of gasoline. It led to wide widespread protests in the country, and that's something the European European politics is kind of coping with at the moment. Yeah, how 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 do we take people with us? And that's also a big question for the left at the moment to answer. That 
we want to go green and how do we that how do we do that in a way that's very social because the whole european europe is built on using um fossil fuels as an energy source and now we have to go over to entirely new energy sources in order to pollute less and be less dependent on other foreign powers in the world so the whole european makeup of how homes are built how we use our cars have to be changed and we see some changes now because for example in germany you see that they've lowered prices for public transport and in other countries they are investing much more in green energy because of the war in ukraine we can't use a lot of oil now because we don't have much and it's very expensive so let's give people make it more and make it cheaper for them to use public transport etc so that's the big challenge how do we how do we keep people with us when transitioning to a greener economy okay Nasreen, so you were talking about the carbon transition so how how is this challenge going to to be well the challenge is going to be how do we um basically keep people on board when cutting carbon and basically go green because that's that's an issue we've seen all over Europe. We see that when wanting to cut down emissions in the in the Netherlands, we see that farmers are going to protest. We've seen in France a few years ago when they want to raise the tax on um, gas prices. And we see that people, uh, people are going on the streets and protest and that People are, go- are angry and go to parties that do not want to do a lot on climate, on, uh, on the climate transition. And that's an issue for many governments because right now with the war in Ukraine, they have to do something. They, we see that our dependence on gas, on oil has led to increased energy prices with the war in Ukraine. So now governments not only have the argument of okay um we need to go green to save the planet but we also need to go green because we need we no longer should be dependent on russia for our energy you see that they want to do that but they have to do that in a way to get people with them because europe was built after the second world war on using fossil fuels as an energy source a lot of homes have natural gas installations. A lot of homes have coal or have coal or oil as their energy sources. And now we have to change everything we've built. We've built up in the past few decades to change that, in change that structure, for so that we can use green energy sources again. So that's the big challenge. How do we? transition and basically change the make of the continent in a way that we bring people with us and not get them lost. Yeah, I think it is it is interesting now that you mentioned the the climate uh, the, the, the the place of climate in politics and and one of the curious issues is that I think well, it, it traditionally kind of the elements of the far right were skeptic of climate change, uh, arguing many times uh, that that climate change wasn't real. Even uh, it's clear that some are trying to move to a position that 
yes, climate change is real, but the only uh, solution is kind of uh, stopping immigration. And, and and I think it is curious because uh, I feel the, the kind of uh, place of immigration is playing, it has been a quite curious development in the sense that um, initially because of the pandemic, it kind of slowed down uh, a lot of, of the immigration, but at the same time, like, Obviously, the, the 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 war in Ukraine is 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 making many uh, Ukrainians seek refuge in, in different parts of of of, uh, of Europe, of the European Union, particularly. Um, and at the same time, it seems that the governments across the spectrum are much more um, skeptical of, of, of immigration, to put it even mildly. Uh, um, and so, so how do you see the, the the issue of immigration in the intersection with climate change and the intersection of the of the war in Ukraine? Well, um, climate. Well, the thing with Europe is that um, it's basically surrounded by um, conflict zones and zones in the world that will be hard hit by climate change. You have Northern Africa. You have the Middle East, and basically, if this be, and it's quite close. It's just a small sea. They have to, they have to cross. So it's much easier for these people to come to Europe than for these people to come to the United States because there's or Canada or that's America because there's a whole huge ocean separating them, and um. So it's easier to come to Europe as a as as a refugee as a refugee, and climate change also brings up the problem that it's the same places where now refugees are coming that are going to have a lot of problems due to climate change. We already see that in some places there's hunger, and the war in Ukraine makes it even worse okay we have got a lot of refugees from ukraine but the war in ukraine as a country that produces a lot of wheat that is needed to make bread for the people in the middle east and northern africa these people are also going hungry maybe soon so you see that a lot of things in the world with climate change and the war in ukraine are making the situation worse from the regions where a lot of refugees are coming to europe so europe really has to come with some united policy on how do we do deal with this because these people are coming here and we need to deal with it in some way and that's a big issue between the west and eastern europe because western europe wants to introduce some sort of european system where everyone where where and basically refugees are distributed fairly and equally among all European states while you have Eastern Europe Eastern European countries which totally don't want that and they block such a distribution system of refugees. So that's that's a big issue. So you see that a lot of problems are intertwined and that's kind of challenging. Yeah, I, I think it is it is interesting because also I mean the Americas as as a whole are, are less integrated, uh, in the sense like obviously North America is very different than, than Latin America and the Caribbean has their own kind of 
particularities. But the recent summit of the Americas also kind of reached an agreement of kind of redistributing refugees. But at the same time, um, if we are going to be honest, uh, I think, you know, like uh, it is much more challenging, I think, here. Uh, in, in the sense that there are countries that are vaguely better than others, but like the change is not going to be too much, uh, particularly in the, in, the, in the sense of security. But in Europe, it, it, it seems that um, even uh, Eastern Europe, like kind of, uh, um, which has had a journey, uh, a, a, a kind of steady economic growth lately, uh, seems much more stable, obviously, that the regions in, in much more chaos around the, the world. But um, something that I, I find quite interesting in, in this, in, it's the that the that despite Brexit, some of the policies seem to be similar in the sense like the, they want to deport the... Uh, I think Dengmar wants to deport the... Uh, uh, asylum seekers to to their countries, and and so this is going to be a kind of a, a situation in which certain uh, countries, uh, kind of one country decides to do something, other country is going to try to copy it, uh, as long as as it doesn't mean uh, receiving refugees, which is kind of strange. But but how do you see this this playing this this kind of strategy to? To, to to move into to quote unquote safe countries because I, uh, Rwanda, which is the country like uh, that, that that they argue that, that it's going to receive at least the refugees in the, I think in the UK and and, and in the Denmark case is is um, is uh, a, a place that. Uh, Many have obviously accused of that human rights violations are, are being committed, so it's not uh, a safe place. And, and and despite that, it seems that both uh, the British Tories and the and the Danish Social Democrats think it, it is a kind of a, a a safe place. And 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 the curious thing that I remember watching an interview in BBC was the Danish. Social democratic parliamentarians said, "Our our responsibility is with the Europeans, so we are going to receive the the Ukrainians, like the people in other parts of the world who receive them." Uh, I, I I think it 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 kind of shows a, a shift in the in the in the attitudes toward toward immigrants from and, and refugees from from other parts of 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 the of the world outside Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, but um, I think I'm. I don't like how Denmark and also the UK are going to basically treat refugees. But in a sense, um, the Danish um case is kind of exceptional and weird in the European context as well. That even the left in Denmark is turned against immigration. So while generally the left in Europe is more pro-immigration, the left in Europe is more is for more open borders for refugees, I would say. Labour migration is a is another kind of topic differently. 
but for refugees the left in Europe is more open generally and and takes a fight against the far right but in Denmark you see that's kind of different where the left is against immigration so it's a bit weird on immigration in Europe because on the other side I also think that um Europe has has changed a lot in the past few decades in terms of demographics due to immigration. And yeah, you basically see that a country like Sweden, a lot of people in Latin America, I think, think that Sweden is a very white country where everyone has blue eyes and blonde hair. <laughs> but in reality, one in three Swedes has a, has a migrant background is either a migrant or has parents who are migrants so that that shows how and that has changed in the past few 30 years and it's going quite fast and there are some people voters who say wait um my country is changing i see a lot of different people different cultures and that's kind of a backlash you see that for some people this change is going too fast yeah, I think it is. It is interesting. I, I do feel. Um, yeah, I think the popular perception of Sweden, maybe Scandinavia, is a, of a lot of homogeneity. Although it will, it will it's interesting to mention that um, um, Sweden, particularly, received a lot of of, of 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 refugees, of political refugees from Latin America. Uh, Hugo Blanco, um, which is probably the most one of the most known uh, um, left-wing politicians in, in, in Peru, like he's a Trotskyist and he he was a peasant leader and he 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 was exiled and he he in in, in Sweden um, and and the the, the Chilean uh, exile also from from Pinochet, but um, but yeah, I, I think it is interesting how. Uh, a, a lot of the rhetoric is is particularly um, uh, directed toward toward Islam, which is it is a uh, very different, obviously, uh, rhetoric which other anti-immigrants do in in, in in other parts where a lot of immigrants are are from a Christian background. Which I, I think it is it, it is curious how um, the, the 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 kind of the the Islamophobic rhetoric has played a, a role in kind of uh, of of uniting in some ways the the far right and and will it still be able to to do that or or or, or will uh, in some ways uh, the the far right will try to have a a much more a multicultural uh, far right in some ways because. It is curious because, as you mentioned, the, the demographic shift already has happened. Like, it, it's uh, it's it's uh, so. What do you think it's going to be the the, the panorama of, of of the of the of the configuration of far pol- far right politics uh, regarding, um, uh, uh, particularly Islam, because I think it's going to be curious how how they try to to deal with this issue yeah that's indeed interesting that um the europe is changing a lot one in three swedes is a migrant background one in four dutch people has a migrant background germany is also similar number you see that society is changing in a rapid in rapid pace 
But I don't think the far right in Europe is going to accept that. So you see, you see the opposite of that. You see that far right in Europe is getting more extreme. Twenty years ago, the far right was basically saying, "Yeah, we need to restrict immigration, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Now the far right in Europe has gone full um, on the grand uh, for the great replacement theory, and that's and what you say is basically what they say as well that you know. It's actually a strategy of them. They want to replace our white European people by people from the Middle East and Africa in order to get rid of our culture, in order to get more, to impose their policies, etc., etc. So they use the argument of our society is changing and that might be challenging for the far right um, as an argument to for themselves that look they are deliberately changing our demography for their own political interests and what's going to be interesting for the far right in europe is um you see that attitudes towards um immigration are um especially skeptical among people who are 40 to 60 years old who grew up in a white europe and then now see how their the white europe they grew up in is no longer so white and European as they were used to it, while among younger people who grew up in that multicultural society are more used to it. And you also see that far-right parties throughout Europe don't do that well among young people. We have to see, of course, whether these young people stay away from far-right policies, but it's going to be interesting how the far-right in the future has to deal with the fact that a lot of people are growing up at the moment who are used to a multicultural environment. Yeah, I think this is, I think, an interesting challenge because uh, in in, in Spain, I think it it is interesting. A lot of the far-right rhetoric has to do with Latin America and rather than Latin American immigrants itself kind of... uh, and a cultural war around the 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 the, the benefits of, 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 of the Spanish imperialism, which I think it, it could sound quite strange, but at the same time, I I I, I see that um, that they are kind of pivoting in some ways uh, uh, toward a, a, a kind of eccentric. Uh, um, even if, if it it already kind of uh, explicit their 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 Islamophobia and, and their xenophobia, uh, I think it, it's curious how some topics are, are really central uh, and, and 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 as as, as political categories, the 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 the, the party of of, of uh, uh, reconquest. I think that's the name of the party, the the, the far right party in France of of, mm-hmm. of uh, Eric Zemmour. Uh, and I think it, it is interesting because that that really shows that that that, that it, it uh, as you pointed out, like it, it doesn't seem that there is a a kind of of consensus. Uh, like uh, I think maybe in Canada, elements of the more the right and the far right, but try to appeal to to, to minorities. But in 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 Europe, it seems that that, that the right still has a much more ethnocentric perspective and that is kind of uh, still uh, I think that 
that uh, not taking a much more multiculturalist approach. But I was going to 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 for for ending up our conversation. I was going to ask you what what do you think the the in 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 this context of of a lot of kind of political challenges. Um, what do you do you think it, it it's it's the place of 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 the left because uh, the left both in, in its more radical more moderate way uh, particularly the moderate way have uh, in in principle being kind of uh, revitalized by by a lot of this crisis that are happening uh and it's trying to 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 give a kind of answer to to those problems and And, and a lot of, uh, of countries in Europe are now governed by by, by social democrats leading a, a coalition that some things are, are much more politically diverse than 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 than, than when in other countries the political coalitions are. But uh, but but what do you see the role of, of, of these different versions of the left in in, in, in in the present in Europe? I think that the, the in the place of the European left in Europe is most importantly to unite people basically on immigration um the most immigrants who come to europe are lower educated poor people and the people who vote for far right parties and don't like immigrants are white people but they also are lower educated and are of lower income so the europe and You see that basically these people are the same, these immigrants and the people who are against immigrants. The only thing that differentiates them is that they have a different skin color and were born in another country. But basically the social class is the same. They live in the same in the same kind of neighborhoods. So the left has to kind of unite them behind them. And also on climate issues that, pe that the left has to try to unite people behind a climate policy to say that no even if you are poor you can you can afford it we this climate change policies are meant to make it make life affordable for you as well so that's the that's the main thing for the left in europe with all these challenges to unite people and also unite europe to prevent that europe is going to be more divided so that's that's the left's quest in the coming years unite people basically okay i think it has been a really um fascinating conversation with you in this reading thank you very much and, and where do people can uh, find you online well i mostly am uh, active on twitter so you can find me on nostradin 2002 and also on europolex i would give that a follow in order to keep updated on European politics and European political developments. So on those two accounts, I am a lot quite active. Okay. Thank you. It has been really a pleasure talking to you. You're welcome.